Hey team, Mickey here. You're listening to this mini Wikipedia Monday and this week I am talking about taper week for the athlete. To carbo load or not? And of course, other taper week nutrition advice. And it's fair to say that over the last couple of weeks, I have been having many sessions with my athlete clients, talking them through practical tips as to how to navigate nutrition in the week leading up to the event. Because of course, you've done the hard yards, you've put the training in, you've allowed adequate recovery, now you're tapering. The last thing you want to do is either hit the wall, come your race day on Saturday, or feel so bloated and disgusting and be five kilos heavier because you've overdone it on the carb front. Fun fact, actually, when I won the Rotorua Marathon, because that is right, I won that marathon, and it was in 2005, holy cats, that's like 18 years ago, but I'm still dining out on it. Um, the guy that I, one of my teacher's college buddies, actually, and I traveled down with um, some of his mates, he had gained five kilos in a week because he went hard on those carbo gainers that you can you can buy. So he started his race feeling very lethargic. His stomach was full and suffice to say, he didn't have a great experience. But there are loads of things that you can do to mitigate what can occur during taper week. That means that that is not going to be you. And one of the reasons I'm doing it this week is, of course, because we've uh, got Ironman on Saturday and I have heaps of triathlete clients that are doing Ironman. So if that is you, very good luck. And do you know, it can be confusing in the week before a race to know what to do about your carbohydrate intake. And this isn't just for the lower carb athlete who may be used to having, say, less than 100 grams a day on any given training day, but just for all athletes in general. So I'm going to break down the old school way of how you might have carbo-loaded and why it's not necessary, regardless of your usual diet. And I'll also give you insights into what our elite low-carb athlete approach looks like. And finally, I'll share some other practical take-homes for race week that are not to do with carbohydrate, but help ensure that nutritionally you're ready for your big day and you don't sort of show up to that start line feeling less than 100%. Carb loading has clearly been a popular practice for all athletes in the days leading up to an event. And there's a lot of discussion about the best ways to do this, depending on sort of what camp you're in. What is not debated, however, is that it's super important that your muscle carbohydrate or muscle glycogen stores are adequately topped up. And this is regardless of whether you are low carb or not. Starting with a full tank is essential, but early protocols to achieve a high glycogen concentration in the muscle, which is where we predominantly store most of our glycogen, were pretty extreme and they had a lot of side effects. And so as such, these sort of methods of carbo-loading have definitely evolved. So I'm going to just chat through some current thinking and also give some sort of practical options and recommendations. And then I'll move on to, you know, what it might look like if you're a low-carb athlete. So the supercompensation protocol came from, um, well, sort of developed when there was a redevelopment of how to take muscle biopsies, actually, back in the 60s, because it allowed researchers to collect a small amount of muscle tissue and measure muscle glycogen, which, as I said, was that storage form of carbohydrate in the muscle. And so since then, or at that time, a number of discoveries were made. Glycogen concentration in the muscle is dependent on diet. The more carbohydrate in the diet, the higher the glycogen stores. Glycogen concentration declines during exercise. 
especially higher intensity exercise or, you know, extended duration. And higher glycogen concentrations in the muscle resulted in less fatigue and better performance. I will also add, though, that the more trained you are, the better you are able to restock your glycogen. And potentially, lower carb athletes may be able to restock glycogen at a faster rate. But that really is probably a mini Wikipedia or a chat to my mate Dan for another day. So... Those early findings, which I just sort of talked you through, have been confirmed since then. And that's probably not news to you. Early observations, though, were that if you deplete muscle glycogen first, then reduce carbohydrate intake for three days, followed by a very high carbohydrate intake for three days, that muscle glycogen bounced back much more than just eating carbohydrate every day during that taper week. Supercompensation referred to the observation that glycogen did not just return to normal after depletion, it actually supercompensated and achieved these sort of supranormal concentrations. This observation resulted in the development of the classical supercompensation diet, which was then successfully executed by runners like European marathon champion Ron Hill in the 1970s. But there were side effects. So this protocol involved an extremely hard workout seven, seven days before a race, followed by carbohydrate restriction for three days, zero carbohydrate for three days. And that might not be ideal to have such a hard workout seven days before, particularly without being able to recover your carbohydrate uh, in the days afterwards, your overall recovery was probably going to be pretty poor. So you could end up towing the start line being under-recovered. And that's obviously not ideal, particularly if it's an A race. Athletes were also recommended not to exercise the week before the race. And for many athletes, this is a greater punishment than the extreme diet themselves, actually. So it was a high-fat, no-carb diet in the three days after that glycogen-depleting exercise. And that in itself also caused gastrointestinal problems for many runners. So although this protocol was highly effective at overcompensating and supercompensating our muscle glycogen stores, a lot of these side effects of inability to recover, of having to not exercise at all, and then the gastrointestinal issues may have outweighed the potential benefits. So in the 80s, a more moderate approach was proposed, which is what a lot of people now do. So the glycogen depleting exercise was removed. And as training reduced towards the race, carbohydrate intake was gradually increased. So glycogen concentrations appeared to be very high as well after six to seven days of just reduced training and higher carbohydrate load, even though they weren't quite as high with the traditional protocol. But Actually, instead now of doing what I just talked about with the increase in carbohydrate over 67 days, it's been noted that two days actually might be enough. So you do not need to increase your carbohydrate load in this next sort of six days leading up to your Ironman race. Studies in the 90s demonstrated that very well-trained athletes could achieve similar muscle glycogen concentration with just one or two days of carb loading and reduced training on those days. And potentially in more novice athletes, you might need sort of a higher carbohydrate load. Uh, but for very trained athletes, this doesn't tend to be a problem. 
What is super interesting actually is that uh, studies have also demonstrated the rate of glycogen breakdown during exercise was directly proportional to the amount of glycogen present in the muscle. So in other words, if you have extremely high muscle glycogen stores, you will break them down faster than when you have normal or high glycogen stores. Whilst it might seem in our heads that super compensating here would be super beneficial, in fact, if we break down that muscle glycogen faster, then it's not really going to do you any favours because an hour or two hours into exercise, glycogen concentrations were comparable if you started with normal high muscle glycogen stores or super high glycogen stores. So what are some practical take-homes from these studies then? Make sure you start your race with sufficient muscle glycogen. Sufficient means high, it doesn't mean extremely high. For trained individuals, this can be achieved by eating carbohydrate-rich, for two days prior to the race while reducing glycogen use, i.e. tapering. So this isn't actually a result of just eating more, but it is a result more of emphasizing those carbohydrate stores and reducing fat intake. This is often a key recommendation. So it's not about loading up on calories like I talked about that my mate from teacher's college did and therefore overeating, but it is more about replacing some of the fat in your diet with carbohydrate. So you're still eating a similar amount of calories, you're getting more of your energy from carbohydrate. And that might equate to not 10 to 12 grams of of carb per kilogram body weight, as you might see written in conventional sports nutrition protocols, but intakes of 5 to 7 grams per kilogram per day. This appears to be sufficient in the majority of cases, particularly as you are tapering, you're not using the same amount of energy. And also, of course, athletes who experience gastrointestinal issues probably should select their carb sources um, from a lower fiber intake. And that is actually another key recommendation I'm going to make. And I'll get to that later on. But first, what I did want to um, sort of acknowledge is that even five to seven grams of carbs per kilogram body weight is a lot of carbohydrate for a low-carb athlete because that equates to, if you're a 70K athlete, that might be, 70KG that is, that would equate to, if you do the math, 350 grams to 490 grams of carbs a day, which is significantly higher than, say, the 100 to 125 grams of carbs that you might be eating on a daily basis. I had a chat to Dan Plews about this, and in fact, I wrote a couple of blogs about this too, and he's written extensively and and has done interviews on it, so absolutely check that out. But I'm going to talk you through what he does, and this is subsequently what I do with my lower-carb athletes. So it's not that sort of 500 grams of carbohydrate, because that will leave you feeling lethargic and bloated, and you won't feel great when you're towing the start line. It's more about adding on additional carbohydrate to what he usually eats and dialing down the fat a little bit. So what Dan does is he lifts his carbohydrate intake from the 80 to 100 grams he typically eats in the three days prior. So on the Wednesday for a Saturday race, he'll include additional potato or sweet potato to his evening meal, taking him to about 125 grams of carbs a day. The increased food amount of this might be about 300 grams of that kumara or that potato. He then increases to 175 grams a day on Thursday and Friday, the two days before the race. So overall, that's an additional 50 gram intake increase from that Wednesday. 
including more fruit alongside potato or sweet potato. And then you can, of course, if you prefer to sub this in for uh, bread or rice or anything which is just which is predominantly starch and rice is predominantly starch. And of course you can have pasta, but I wouldn't recommend including more pasta if you haven't been eating pasta because that'll leave you feeling a bit bloated. His intake then goes from 80 to 100 grams to 125 grams on the Wednesday to 175 grams on Thursday and Friday. In addition, he makes sure that he has snacks on hand so he's not caught out in the lead up to the race if he's short on time or he's spends too long in sort of racking his bike or getting that sorted or registering that sort of thing. So that's certainly not up there at that 490 grams, but if you are a lower carb athlete, that will actually replenish your carbohydrate stores sufficiently to toe the start line with additional carbs on board with your muscle glycogen topped up. Now, of course, that doesn't happen immediately. So you're not going to top your muscle glycogen stores up on actual race morning. That has to happen before the race. And because you've been tapering, and you've been low carb, these are two sort of stimulus that help you replenish your muscle glycogen stores faster. Now, for anyone in the lead up to the race, what I would say is that hydration is also key. Because if you tow the start line in a dehydrated state, everything feels harder because your body has to work harder to pump the blood around. And therefore, your power watts and the intensity in your heart rate is going to be higher than what you would have accounted for. And you are not going to perform at your best. So Wednesday through Friday, be fully hydrated and take on board electrolytes as well to ensure that the water you're taking in is being adequately held onto in your cells. Because if you just drink water and you just go to the bathroom, a lot of the time you'll just be peeing out water and peeing out and flushing out what you've taken on board. So water and electrolytes is key. And again, don't be caught out. Always have your water bottle handy with those electrolytes in it because things will always take longer on that day before race day as you're registering and you're racking your bike and checking your gear and stuff and you do not want to be caught out. In addition, having a low residue diet can be super helpful, particularly if you have race nerves, you typically have gastrointestinal issues, or you have a fear of GI issues, then removing that fiber removes a lot of the significant or the additional problems that you can experience. So you want a lot of the food that you eat to be out of your gut, essentially, and fiber sticks around for too long, which is why it's so awesome in everyday life, not great in the lead up to a race. So with the additional carbohydrate that you are, you will be eating, be it conventional sort of higher carb approach or, you know, for the lower carb athlete, if you put in that low fiber sort of carbohydrate, for example, rice, remove some of those veggies in addition to removing some of the fat. Keep the protein constant. So your meals might look the same or a little bit smaller, but you get a you get rid of a lot of the stuff that could potentially be co causing bloating, like the vegetable fiber. So you want to be doing this particularly on the Friday before your Saturday race, but also of course um, on the Thursday. Importantly, if you start feeling anxious in and around the race, or just feel apprehensive, and of course if you are anxious, don't view it as anxiety; view it as excitement. Change your mindset around that. Easier said than done, I know. And for the sort of pre-race meals, so on the Friday night, go with what you're comfortable and familiar with, i.e. if you haven't been eating pizza or bread or gluten, I wouldn't probably have pizza 
for dinner on Friday night because that could end up bloating you regardless of how many vegetables there are in there. So you might want to have potato or kumara or rice. You might have salmon or steak. Upon saying that though, a pizza is a great option. If you tolerate it well, go for gold. Just don't overstuff yourself so you don't feel too full. And try to eat a little earlier so you have that time to digest the food because sleep might not come easily for you on the Friday night before your Saturday race. Of course, some people love fish and chips. And again, if this is what you really enjoy, then absolutely have it with all of the caveats around overeating, which I just talked about. On race morning, so your muscle glycogen stores are topped up. You don't need to worry about them. But you do want to top up with carbohydrate if you're eating anything um, and top up your liver glycogen stores ideally. We store about 10% of our overall body glycogen in our liver. That might be anywhere from, say, 50 to 80 grams of carbohydrate. So using things like oats with protein powder, uh, super starch in your oats. This is something that Dan used before his 2018 Ironman win. Um, toast of course is fine if you're used to having toast or sports drink again totally fine to top that up however there are people who literally have bacon and eggs or nothing or a bulletproof coffee and off they go and that's absolutely fine as well because you don't store that much of your overall glycogen in your liver and it really for some people is just a bonus Suffice to say, I think that your psychology going into that race day and feeling happy with what you're doing and really comfortable that you've got a good strategy, that actually is probably more important than what you're actually doing. Of course, you want to be drinking as well in the lead up to the race. And hopefully you're having something that you've practiced and dialed in in training so that you're familiar with it on race day. And I think that is absolutely key. Now, I don't love recommending that people have a gel 10 minutes before swim start or any start of a race, or anything 10 minutes before a race, because you do run the risk of rebound hypoglycemia, where your blood sugars shoot up, and then they drop down. Instead, have something, be it an hour before, two hours before, sip on your sports drink and electrolyte, that's it, you're done. Give yourself the opportunity to go to the bathroom a couple of times if you need to, and then start the race feeling really confident that you've put yourself in the best possible position nutritionally to give it your all. All right, team. So regardless of whether or not you're doing Ironman on Saturday, hopefully this gives you some insight into the tips that I've been sharing with my athletes, the current thinking around carbo loading, regardless of whether you're low carb or conventional, and that you feel confident for whenever you race next, that you've got some strategies that you can use. So thanks as always for listening. Share it with anyone you think would really benefit from this and uh, have a great day. See you later.